from the Orange County Fire Authority. This is the Pass Along Podcast, where we address firefighter issues from top to bottom, from your helmet down to your boots. Now, here's your host. All right, welcome to the July podcast. Uh, this is Kenny Dossie, Deputy Chief of the Emergency Operations Bureau. Um, we're getting ready to film this additional uh, podcast here, just once again for an increase in communications for everyone out there. Um, it's really important that we get the message out, that we're transparent, and it's difficult to communicate with uh, 77 stations, three different shifts, and people spread all over the place. So this is another means just to communicate. It's almost like a station visit, um, you know, memo, briefing binders, SOPs, general orders. Those are st- still all in effect. This is just another way to get the message out. Um, so I'm happy to have a guest with me here today, Nick Freeman. Welcome, Nick. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, we're glad that we uh, could get you on the show and I could twist your arm and get you involved. Uh, I've got a few questions here for you, if you don't mind uh, uh, answering us. And we'll, we'll talk specifically about you being the manager of the HAZMAT program here in a minute. But let's just start with the basic fire service question. Tell us a little, little bit about your background and experience, you know, as far as it relates to the fire service. Yeah, absolutely. Um, See, so yeah, I've been full time with the Orange County Fire Authority for about uh, a little over 20 years, probably close to 22 years. Uh, prior to that, I was a paid call firefighter at Station 10. Um, throughout my career, I've kind of been a little all over the place. Early on, I was very focused on the wildland aspect. I uh, worked at the Type 3 stations. Uh, from there, I went into the USAR program, worked at Truck 9, uh, got all my technical rescue courses completed, uh, bounced out of there, went to Hazmat. I've been with the HAZMAT program for 20 years now. Uh, had a lot of opportunities with that. Was on the, the California Task Force 5 as a HAZMAT specialist, HAZMAT manager, HAZMAT section coordinator, uh, then on to the FEMA IST, and now more recently the uh, FEMA Task Force leader. Uh, additional to that, I was a paramedic. Still am a paramedic. Um, probably going on 15, 16 years now. Um, worked at Okayak as the terrorism liaison officer for four and a half years. Uh, promoted to battalion chief about a year and a half ago. Been working out of battalion ten, and then as of April, took over the the uh, hazmat program. Good, Matt's a great uh, overview and a, another reserve uh, hired here, which is awesome to hear. And another one from tens that they've got a pretty good track record over there. Um, so you've answered a little bit of the second question, but you can probably get into a little bit more detail. I know you said you were hazmat on California Task Force 5 and, and being involved with Okayak for a pretty long duration. Um, but what got you specifically interested in uh, the hazmat program here at Orange County Fire? Yeah, so kind of like I mentioned, I started down the road of the USAR component. I love the technical aspect of, of that. But ultimately, I got bumped out of my spot at Truck 9. I was kind of free-floating for a little bit. Um, at the time, Kirk Summers was the chief of, uh, the hazmat program and he kind of coaxed me in. Um, so once I got in, I kind of had my exposure to it, went to school, the technician and specialist, uh, began to love how technical the job was, how much it, uh, additional training, knowledge and experience that kind of came with it. So, um, I just kind of stuck with it. Um, and I've, I've learned a ton over the years, uh, being part of the program. And, and being part of Kayak, you're still in touch with Hazmat a bunch, right? Oh, yeah. Um, both individuals that come from the fire side of the house at Kayak are both Hazmatters. Uh, one from us, one from Anaheim. And frankly, they leaned on us all the time for various Hazmat-specific questions or things that were occurring overseas that may have a Hazmat nexus to come 
answer questions for them and kind of be their technical specialist. Okay, good. And I like the name drop, Kirk Summers. Uh, that was my first captain when I got hired here. Good guy. So, yeah. um, All right, I'll jump into question number three. Uh, can you give us an overview of the current Orange County Fire HAZMAT program? Kind of what you know about it starting and then kind of where we are today and, and even where you see it in the future. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, let's see. Uh, the program basically got its foundation under the Orange County Fire Department. Uh, that was in the early 80s. Uh, at that time, hazmat programs were kind of a newer concept, but we were starting to see major incidents across the state, across the country that were really illustrating the need for hazmat teams and then the typing of teams and all that goes into that. Um, so we formed our hazmat team uh, with the Orange County Fire Department. Ultimately, when we transitioned in 1994 to the fire authority, uh, we were running seven hazmat specialists out of station four. Um, the mission really hadn't changed much at that time frame. It was still very much focused on toxic industrial chemicals, transportation emergencies, and all that. But as we kind of started creeping into the 90s, we started seeing that Homeland Security mission space grow predominantly with drug labs uh, that we were starting to see in the county. Um, fast forward to 2001, the whole program changed effectively. Uh, we basically took over half of our role was Homeland Security and the other half was the traditional uh, industrial emergencies. Um, so that really pushed us into the WMD world, drugs, uh, you name it. So that was a huge shift for us. Um, ultimately, at this point in time, uh, we're running 20 guys out of station, uh, sorry, eight guys out of station 20. Uh, and then four guys out of station 79 for a total of 12 on duty per day. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now with the program. Kind of looking to the future, um, just like what occurred in 2001, there's this constant evolution. Uh, the threat picture changes, what we're seeing changes, population growth, uh, urban sprawl and all that. So we're kind of trying to adapt with that, adjust our capabilities. Uh, we're looking at how, how our resources and how much depth we have across the county um, so we're kind of looking at a lot of different components to make sure that we're meeting that changing need of the communities. That's good. I remember the eighties, that was the big thing was hazmat. And then, you know, paramedicine kind of took a side, a side seat to hazmat for a little while at least. And then obviously 2001, 911 was a, was a, was a mark on the program. So that's, that's a good overview. Um, well, that kind of leads me to my next question. So if I was interested, or if not me, but if someone was interested in working in hazmat, you know, what would they need to do to get started? Or what are the requirements? Or what are you guys looking for, for someone out there listening that might be interested in hazmat? Yeah, so there's basically two routes you can go. Um, if you're just kind of interested, want to get into the program, but not full, full in, such as a transfer. Uh, every year we run a recruitment for our part-time program. We typically do that around October, November. Um, basically, the way that system works is you submit uh, once the, the job interest flyer goes out, uh, we'll do an interview. We rank you based off of, you know, essentially how your interview goes, and then we pick based off of need, right? So if we have a significant need for firefighters, we'll pull a lot of firefighters. If we have a need for engineers, uh, we'll pull for engineers and such. Um, so we'll pick our list, and then we run an academy, uh, hazmat technician every year in January, February. Um, so you get all that training in-house, and then you'll do a, basically a six-month rotation at either 20s or at 79s. Um, so that's one route in. The other route is to just transfer in. Um, as long as you're available to transfer, you can transfer to either 20s or 79s. 
Um, there's maybe a couple stipulations there. Obviously, there's a courtesy phone call that could, should probably occur prior to transferring in. But for captains, you actually have to interview prior to receiving it. And so basically the way that works is it's pass or fail. We come in, ask you some questions. It's essentially a jury of your peers. They're going to ask you some very, very basic hazmat related questions, a little bit about yourself. They're going to score you. Once again, it's pass or fail. Uh, if there's multiple candidates, if both candidates pass, it goes to seniority. So the highest seniority gets the spot uh, and that's pretty much it. But that's basically the route. As far as people we're looking at, um, obviously you have a background in chemistry or if you had some experience with another team with another department uh, or even frankly one of the, uh, the military's ninth civil support team or one of the civil support teams across the country, uh, that would also be a valuable uh, item for us. So basically uh, there's no requirement, but it's competitive based on your background. Correct. For you guys. Yeah, it's just a, like a standard job interview. And then we train. And we train you. We train you from A to Z. Yep. Oh, good. Awesome. Um, all right. Well, that leads me to my next question, and it's actually my favorite question. So um, for education for our crews uh, that are out there, and I'll, I'll break this into two parts. What's the most common hazmat call or the most common time the hazmat team is called out and they're really not needed? It's more of a, a captain level call, you know, just at the company officer, but you guys end up coming out or you getting called out too. Does that kind of make sense? Yeah, I got you there. Uh, so one call type that I would say we get called out and typically doesn't really materialize into a true hazmat incident are your odor checks. A lot of times what we see with those, it's it's a dispute between neighbors or the occupant and the landlord. Uh, it's usually paint, cleaning supplies, backed up drains. So those ones typically don't end up being hazmat calls. Not to say it can't, but typically no. So my request would just simply be for the company officer to do their due diligence, talk to the RP, walk the site. If needed, put your PPE on, grab your multi-ray, walk it, see if you have anything. And if you do, absolutely call us. But most times it's it's, it's nothing. That's good. That's a good follow-up. Not only the most common call, you're probably not needed, but what to do, what to do just in case and, and to cover us. So that's good. And then on the opposite side of that same question, what type of calls um, do the engine companies have a tendency to handle? And probably they should have called hazmat you know what i mean they just want to handle it at their level and and later on you you discover it and go wow you should have called us out yeah there's a couple um one of the newer ones that we're seeing is the lithium ion batteries um some of the bigger fires uh that we have with those um there's a lot of toxic gas that's coming off of those batteries uh, it just looks like smoke but it's actually toxic gas so we are capable of monitoring for that and uh, making sure that our crews are safe so that's one to consider doesn't necessarily mean it's every call. Um, if it's a smaller battery and just a small device that typically can be handled. Um, and another big one we're seeing is the natural gas leak. And I'm not necessarily talking about the standard household natural gas smell of gas. It's the gas main ruptures. So with that, you're potentially going to have a significant plume. You may have to be considering evacuation distances. Um, and that's where one of our squads, whether that's 20 or 79 can come out. They can plume model, they can do remote detection, they can do lockout, tag out, and in extreme circumstances, if there's a life safety component, we can shut the leak down with uh, specialized equipment. But typically, we're not going to do that. Um, okay, well, hey, that's all the questions I had, but um, I actually um, really appreciate you coming in. But I do have a little bit of a follow-up uh, as far as, you know, do you have anything at all that you'd like to add? Is there anything we missed or anything going on out there that's a hot topic that you want to address before we 
jump into uh, the next part of this, which will be questions from the field. Yeah, so there's there's one last item we probably should touch on. Um, it's There's a rumor, obviously, going around that uh, we're going to be putting together a hazmat 17. Uh, so I probably should address that just a little bit more formal so the troops and uh, the folks in the stations understand kind of where we're at with that concept. Um, so essentially, the nexus of that was as we look at the depth of resources in the county, response times, availability of resources, um, there is some indication that there's a need for additional apparatus and or personnel uh, to augment our existing uh, team. Uh, that being said, we are looking at a variety of options or considerations. It's very much so at the infancy phase of uh, the process where we're looking at numbers, uh, cost, uh, and all those details. So it's, it's by no means a set set in stone item. Uh, it is just something that we're looking at. It's a potential white paper um, that it's going to be submitted to evaluate that as a need uh, across the department. No, that's good. I'm glad you brought that up because um, I've actually heard that uh, rumor at a station on a visit and I had never heard it before and then came back and got a little background. And, and remember, uh, there's white papers written all the time uh, for things that individuals uh, think we need or we don't need. And, and they, they're really a great means of communication and it's a great uh, avenue for us to either expand or um, do something else with our services that we have. So that's good that you got that out there because uh, I know the rumor spread fast and, and right now it's, it's just what it is. It's just a, a white paper and a proposal. So thanks for clearing that up. Um, now I'm going to ask you if you don't mind sticking around, Nick, uh, I've got some questions that been, have been sent to me or when I'm out in the stations, people ask me some questions. So, um, if you don't mind asking me some of these, I can get some of this information out. Yeah. So, uh, could you just provide us a quick update on the helicopter replacement plan? Yeah. So without going into too much detail and, and if you have watched any of our budget and finance, um, uh, board meetings, uh, you can see that, uh, this is something that we're definitely looking into. Our helicopters are from 07 and 08, so they're getting near their uh, life expectancy. And we have to really start thinking about uh, replacing the helicopters. So um, there's lots of rumors and gossip out there, but the reality is is, is the, the helicopters that we're looking at are the uh, uh, Blackhawks that have been converted into what we call Firehawks. Um, that's kind of the standard helicopter used in the industry now, you know, with wildland season being year round and fires burning hotter. Um, these helicopters can still meet our multi-use mission, which is rescue um, and water dropping and all the other uh, multi-mission stuff that we do. Um, but the amount of power that they have and the amount of water that they can carry, it like triples our current one. And it, it's, it's become the standard. Additionally, they're safer. Uh, they have two engines, just like our 412s. But the two engines, if you lose an engine, you know, when you're, uh, when you're over the pond hovering on our, on our current helicopters, it's, you know, the potential to get wet or to actually crash the helicopter is there where these new helicopters with the technology, they're just so much safer. It's, it's just like driving an, an old car. If you've had a car for 15 or 20 years, the, the technology that's out there is, has been upgraded. So yeah, that is true. There is a replacement plan in place. It's working its way through um, the budget and finance committee right now to see the affordability and, and how we'd actually purchase those or lease them. Um, if you want more detailed information, you can uh, pull those up and watch those. And eventually it'll go to our, our full board who will make the, the final uh, decision uh, as far as policy goes. 
Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, do you have any updates on the electronic inspections? So this is a question that comes up a lot, and I know we're still doing our inspections uh, with the printed out by hand uh, inspections, and it seems so archaic based on uh, technology out there. And and today, this year is obviously already uh, being done by paper. Um, and next year starts within six months from now. So what I've been told is that we probably will have one more additional year of it being on paper while we're testing and getting them ready. And then the following year, we'll have it all electronically to where we can just pull our iPad off the rig and, and do them all electronically. So we're getting close. I know we're not there now and we probably won't be there in six months, but the, the year after it is the plan because there's a lot of testing that goes into that. Okay, thank you. Um, is OCFA going to go to electric blowers? So this is something that the um, equipment committee has been working on. Uh, they actually did some um, testing and uh, the newer electric blowers are fantastic. Uh, the amount of air they can blow is, is in comparison to the old um, gas powered ones. So the answer is yes. Uh, we think this makes sense. Um, you're not dealing with the exhaust that we're always dealing with that exhaust hose. Um, and we actually have some money left over from the grant from the FGS, uh, grant dust, I guess is what they call it. And so we have enough to buy a new electric blower for almost every truck that we have, but not all of them. And so the plan is to get those, uh, get them in service. And then as our gas powered, um, blowers, uh, finish their lifespan, then we'll be replacing them with the electric blower. So the answer is yes, and they're coming hopefully soon. All right, awesome. All right, uh, why isn't OCFA paying for all needed services, including painting stations, cleaning carpets, routine station items, equipment, and buying new trucks and engines? So it's kind of a it's kind of a long question, but I, I got it at one of my station visits. Um, and, and basically it was, Hey, we're OCFA, we should be paying for everything in these stations. And, and, you know, from my perspective, I, I tried to think about, you know, this question and, and why someone was asking that. But one, when, when I gave the explanation, I thought, you know, a lot of people probably don't know, um, what I just said. So, um, it's important to realize that we don't own all of our stations. Um, all, most of the cash contract cities own their own stations. Um, we own the structural fire fund cities stations. So first of all, the, the cities are responsible for their um, upkeep on their stations. Now there is a small amount of money that each uh, cash contract city gives us um, to keep maintenance on uh, their stations. And then when it gets over that amount, it's their responsibility. So um, you got to remember in our budget, um, about somewhere between 90 and 93% of it goes to salaries and benefits. So we don't have um, an endless amount of money to potentially fix up these stations. I, I think generally speaking, our stations are pretty good. We do have some that are getting old and are gonna need maintenance issues and, and projects. And actually um, they're working on triaging our stations. We've got an outside company that's gonna come in and go to every single station and evaluate it so that we'll have a list of priorities of the first station that needs to be done is station whatever the number is. So it makes sense, but it's not just something that we come in and and handle everything for the cities. So uh, I, hopefully that makes a little bit more sense, but we definitely need to be smart with our budget and smart with what we do. So hopefully your stations are nice and you guys, uh, we make sure that you uh, have a nice facility to work in and nice equipment, but that's not always the case. All right, well, that makes yeah. sense. 
All right. When is the arrival of new truck companies? So great question. And everybody knows um, that over the years we've been down as far as truck companies or having new truck companies or, or getting a relief truck company showing up and it's the old Sutfin and it almost has to show up with a mechanic so you can just get the thing working. And we're, we're trying to get out of that phase and we're, we're not a hundred percent there yet. Uh, COVID is, is, is one excuse for a lot of stuff not getting in, but this last year we have, um, had some pretty good success with, uh, ordering equipment. Uh, most of you are aware 13 type one engines came in. Um, they're slowly getting delivered out to the field. There's some more being ordered. So, so good progress there, but the specific question was about truck companies. So we had five truck companies ordered. We actually added a six. So there's six of them that were ordered. Um, we've actually signed a, uh, let me make sure I get this right. Uh, in April, we ordered uh, six total. So two of them are going to be Sutfins, four of them are going to be KMEs. We actually have a need to replace five. And that leaves us one for, you know, one extra one for unforeseen circumstances, because they take so long to get, you almost have to really think hard about, you know, what's going to happen in the future. And Fullerton, if they come over, they're going to need a truck company. Um, and then if Fullerton doesn't come over, just looking at our equipment, we need some relief stuff. So maybe we could put the newer truck in one of the stations and grab one of the older trucks based on mileage and duration and put it into the relief because our, I don't think our relief is as strong as, as we hoped it would be. So um, I think that answers most of the question. Okay, that's all uh, we've got for today. I appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, Chief Freeman, thanks a lot for coming in and uh, telling us all about Hazmat. Uh, we appreciate your service and, and you uh, taking time out of your day to come in and uh, spend some time with us. Everybody out there in the field, make sure you take care of each other and uh, we'll talk to you next month. Thanks.